Hello, this is Roy's Rocket Radio, episode 190, recorded on Wednesday, the 4th of October, 2017, at 11.31 and 25 seconds in the evening. I am Roy Martha, a writer, and you have tuned in to Roy's Rocket Radio, the UK podcast for the pop culture geek, technology nerd, and creative media wizard. And hello again. I was about to make lots and lots of excuses as to why this podcast is a bit late, but honestly, I really do have a good excuse this time, but I'm just not going to bore you with it. I'll just get on with the show. (laughs) No more long-winded, annoying and boring excuses. As far as personal news goes this week, it was my birthday on the 26th last week. Miraculously, it turned out to be an okay day. I chatted to my parents in the morning, and in the evening, as is tradition, got ridiculously drunk, and there were presents and friends and birthday cards. Yeah, it was okay. I also, probably something to do with a drink, wore a pair of sunglasses thinking that I looked really cool, but when I eventually changed to more sensible eyewear, I was so inebriated that I couldn't see straight in any case. I couldn't see with sunglasses, couldn't see with normal glasses, couldn't see without any glasses. But you know what birthdays are like, and at birthdays you always get, or at least I do, that after party come down, which may of course be something to do with a hangover, but also you contemplate what you have or have not achieved. Insert first sight of the evening here. What else has been going on? I have updated my website and I am working on my blog as well. I made a determined effort over the past few days to make my online presence look a little less awful. Next on the list is to sort out my online data, particularly photographs, which are a total mess as well as social media. But you know about photographs, because we all now carry around a rather wonderful camera built into our phones, we end up with hundreds and hundreds of absolutely pointless photographs. But, of course, as soon as I said that, I'm probably going to have to eat my words. In fact, I'm definitely going to have to eat my words, because earlier today, just after I had a rather spiffy haircut, thanks to Teela at the hairdressers. As I made my way back to the car, you will never in a million years guess what happened. Well, you'll know in a second because I'm going to tell you. Today, I bumped into, amazingly, Warwick Davies and took a celebrity selfie. Something I thought I would never do. As a professional media person, you know, selfies, they are 
beneath me, but I did it anyway. Although a friend did say that in the selfie, it looked like Warwick Davis was having a better time than I was. <laughs> I think I'm doing it wrong. Ah, yes, and dating. Although I haven't got round to doing a whole show just about dating, I was going to say geek dating, but is it really? Everyone uses dating apps on their phones nowadays. I have nine apps. The reason I started doing it is that last Saturday night I was utterly bored at the pub. But instead of just going to sleep with my eyes open, which I can actually do, I instead fired up the dating apps and started signing up and logging in. The apps I am using are Dragonfruit, Bumble, eHarmony, Happen, OkCupid, Plenty of Fish, Shardy, Tinder, and Trek Passions. Of course, after I said that isn't really geek dating, two of those apps are specifically aimed at geeks, that is Dragonfruit and Trek Passions. But since I have had no luck in meeting anyone at all, and in fact have had zero interaction, I think one woman liked my photograph on... I think it was Bumble. It was either Bumble or Tinder. One or the other. Can't remember. But I didn't get to reply, so nothing really to report yet. What else? Um, yeah, it feels all too predictable that I haven't had any response, really. Only one like and no replies. And it does feel like a waste of time. But at least I felt more productive than simply falling asleep in my chair at the pub. That's the whole of my news about online dating so far. And so, I suppose, insert second sigh of the evening here. Just before I decided to record this podcast, I was listening to Newsnight on the BBC, and they were talking about Theresa May's rather unfortunate speech at the Tory party conference. And I'm not sure that calling her out for having a cough really means much. If you're going to have a go at her, have a go at her for the total incompetence she displayed during that whole give me the mandate to blah 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 us out of the EU. I think the problem with concentrating on minutiae like that is you tend to forget that waiting in the wings is Amber Fudd as I call her, and Boris Rongen. <laughs> I'm starting to sound like a tabloid myself. Well, there aren't enough left-wing tabloids. Okay, before this turns into a party political broadcast on behalf of the Roy Party, I had better go on and... 
let's talk about TV. But before we do that, I wanted to mention that The Big Bang Theory and Gotham are back, at least in the US. Not so sure about other regions, including, of course, the UK yet. So I can't really talk any more about that. But let's talk about the big news of the week, and that is, of course, Star Trek Discovery. The new show finally started last week, and in episode one and two, we are introduced to Michael Burnham, a female Starfleet first officer, brought up by Sarek. Yeah, that one, Spock's dad, who in the first episode goes against her captain in a confrontation with the Klingons because she puts logic before the chain of command. It is the kind of thing that Kirk would have gotten away with. But Kirk seems to be able to bend the rules and come out smelling of roses, but it does not go well for Commander Burnham. What did I think? One thing that lifted a huge 10-ton weight from my chest was seeing a black woman in her 30s and a solidly middle-aged Asian woman recreate the scene from J.J.'s first Star Trek movie when they take up position on the transporter pad and beam to an enemy ship. That really did something to me, and I'm happy that it happened. Of course, Michelle Yeoh is about to be replaced by Jason Isaacs, but it was a great and important moment and it means a lot to me. I've said this sort of thing before in the podcast and in real life to the point that I'm sure people sigh at the level of my right onness, but I'm not faking it to sound trendy. It really does bug the hell out of me that in 2017, I'm still talking about diversity. So it is always a relief to see some of those concerns being addressed. Another thing that I really loved was the scene, again, on the transporter pad, when Sarek leaves his young charge in the hands of her captain and mutters, behave, as he passes. It was a truly lovely moment. Compared to the rest of Star Trek TV shows, Star Trek Discovery is a strong and very cinematic start. Clearly heavily influenced by J.J. Abrams' take, but it is early days still, and we'll just have to see if the TV show retains its momentum. And that was the first two episodes of Star Trek Discovery, but in the last couple of days, of course, we have the late breaking news that the next episode, episode three, has already aired. From Michael's mutiny, 
which she thought was for the benefit of her captain and crew, but went disastrously wrong. She has been sentenced to life in prison, and she is on a prison ship, which reminded me strongly of Avon on his way to Cygnus Alpha. A reference almost no one will get. The rest of episode 3 was what they called in Aliens a bug hunt. Now, I have been purposefully vague about more details of the first three episodes because I'm sure a lot of fans have already seen it, but I'm also sure that many of you have not. And because I enjoyed it so much, I don't want to talk about this too much now, because I want everyone to see it. Let's at least talk about what I thought of the third episode. And again, it is good, really good, though I was very disappointed that Jason Isaacs' Captain Lorca had to have an American accent. That really bugs me, because Federation Earth is a post-World War III planet, united under one government, and from everything I know about the backstory, America is just another region. Sure, they had Zephram Cochrane in the early days to invent the warp drive, and Starfleet Academy is situated in San Francisco, but the Federation and Starfleet crews are generally international slash interplanetary, aren't they? And okay, in the past it was mostly American actors who were available. Well, not Kirk or Scotty of course, both played by Canadians, but now we have a decent actor like Isaacs, and then they don't use him. That definitely deserves a bar and a humbug. Yeah, the Americans really like British actors as long as they don't have British accents. And this is even more annoying after what Michelle Hyo said in an excerpt for a CBS News interview I found at trekcore.com and I'm going to read the quote for you here none of the showrunners or my director would come up to me and say can you give me an American accent they embraced my accent from the word go I think what's really interesting about my accent is that it's not American or British it's sort of in between. Sometimes you can hear certain words and you think, that sounds a little American, right? And then you hear something, that sounds kind of British. Then, that sounds a little Asian, but that's what I am. If the show could deal with Michelle Yeoh's lovely combination of accents, why does Captain Lorca have to be an American? 
Another thing I noticed, and I hope you noticed too, was the Tribble. Foul creature. It's that furry thing trembling and purring on a table. And if you're a Trekkie, you do not need to hear this from me. But if you are not a Trekkie and you're wondering what that strange creature was, Google Tribble. Also, Captain Lorca's bestiary reminds me a bit of the governor's glass tanks in The Walking Dead, or even more creepily, David's lair in Alien Covenant. Just two of the little things I noticed. I also received some listener feedback in a couple of tweets. Listener Saul Garnell says, This is a full reboot no matter what they say, and we're going to explore the darker side of morality. He also said, Hey, I agree. A good show so far, just very different. Confusing, too futuristic, too un-Starfleet. Help me understand. First, let's talk about the darker side of morality. I agree. And from the very start, this has all been about the tension between Starfleet with their twin objectives of peaceful scientific exploration versus military force. Something that has never really made that much sense to me. My guess is that although the Federation has a military and ground forces because Starfleet, a body charged with mainly exploration, has the best spaceships. They have become the edge of the blade in a Federation that spans solar systems. This is what I think, but... It all still sits a little uneasily with me. Next, very different, confusing, too futuristic. Now, I'm actually okay with that, because a huge, multi hued future should be complex. I think the futuristic look is good. It gives you the impression that you really are amongst aliens. In fact, I'd go as far as saying that even the humans are aliens. They are a post-war socialistic human society. This is addressed previously in the franchise. For example, the Ferengi admire Wall Street and encounters with 20th century humans is always notable with how different they are from Federation humans. A lot of this is the legacy of Rodenberry writing A Better Future, but Rodenberry wasn't unique. A Better Future in science fiction can range tenuously from Rodenberry's Federation to the benevolent state tyranny in H.G. Wells' The Shape of Things to Come, or the fanaticism 
of Mars in the Expanse. The point is that shows like Star Trek at least make an effort to think about these things. It is an eyes-wide-open utopian sci-fi rather than blind utopianism. I should end the section by saying that if there are political scientists, economists, or philosophers listening and perhaps rolling their eyes at my naivete, I'd invite them to tell me what they think I missed. Although, given the constraints of this show, there were a lot of other things that I could talk about. But let's just leave that for now. And that is Star Trek Discovery, starting this year, the new Star Trek show. And my opinion is, it is definitely worth watching. Let's go on to movies now. Spider-Man Homecoming 2017. The new Spider-Man actor, the British Tom Holland, takes over from Andrew Garfield in another reboot of the franchise. This is not an origin story, and in fact deliberately not so, but set after Spidey's induction into the Avengers as a part-time member. Spidey is coping with high school, girls, an upcoming prom, and a feeling that he has been sidelined by Tony Stark's elite Avengers. And so he works locally in Queens, where he lives, dealing with mostly minor crimes until... Da, 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 the Vulture. Again... I'm not going to say too much more to spoil this movie, as the movie is still being shown in regional cinemas in the UK. Though, one thing that is very noticeable is that given that Spidey, Peter Parker, is stuck in Queens, the movie is very location-sensitive. I'm sure it's mostly fake Queens, but... With the Ramones, hey-ho, let's go. And I'm surprised they didn't use the Ramones version of the Spider-Man theme. But maybe that would have been a little too on the nose. And an Italian Aunt May, played by the lovely Marissa Tomei. And we're the suburbs of New York City in the distance, viewed at the wrong end of a long whatever their version of the tube ride away is, and the diverse ethno-cultural demographic of the population, I'm assuming, I hope I'm right, that the filmmakers made a conscious effort to place Peter Parker in a very specific place. It's not the first time this has happened, but it feels more Queens than ever. That's my guess, though, as I've only ever visited Manhattan. Just before I go on to what else I thought about it, on the subject of 
the area being Queens rather than New York proper and a suburb, is that there is a scene where Spider-Man tries to web-sling to a building so that he can swing through the air with the greatest of ease. But this is the suburbs and all the buildings are low, so his web doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> he ends up just running and running and running and panting with the effort, which I really loved. I think it is a fun film, though I still think Garfield's first movie is probably the best of all the modern Spider-Man movies, including Tobey Maguire's. What else did I think? I thought that Peter's best friend Ned was great and very, very funny. There's one particular scene that will really resonate with the nerds, and that is the broken Death Star scene. Cracked me up no end, and I'm grinning right now just thinking about it. Go and see the movie, and I dare you not to fall over laughing. As for the Vulture, it's not such a bad take on the character by Michael Keaton, and the wings are also very clever in that they thought of a non-silly way that a man could wear wings that could make him fly. I can also understand why the filmmakers felt the need to juice up a fairly minor character for the movie. But despite all that, and it's probably just through the lens of retro comic nostalgia, but I really miss the original Ditko Lee Vulture. And on the subject of juicing up the character, they also juiced up the background story, because it is a film, of course, for the Vulture that I really liked. It seemed to be very topical, very politically informed by the Things that are going on in the US, such as a disgruntled working class. As I say that, I'm struggling to think of a way of explaining that without spoiling too much. But let's just say that the Vulture has his reasons for turning to crime. They're not really justifiable, but he does have reasons, and those reasons are to do with economics and the struggle to make ends meet. Now, I said they juiced up the movie, and it is a long, long film. But saying that, it isn't a baggy film. But take my advice and make sure you go to the toilet before it starts, because you don't want to miss anything. One last thing I wanted to mention and I'm looking at my show notes, and I haven't really mentioned it there, but I remember talking to a friend about the movie, and I did say something extra that's not in the show notes, and that's to do with diversity. I said that they made Queens a very diverse place, but the cast is also diverse, and by that I mean the 
actual speaking roles, characters who are important to the plot of the movie. I like that they were both simultaneously given their own separate identities as far as ethnicity and looks and behaviour and just differences. And yet they did that and also balanced things out by not thinking up some fancy reason that the cast was so diverse other than the fact that it is a diverse area. And I found that very, very refreshing. And that's all I have to say about Spider-Man Homecoming 2017. Go and see it. Well worth a watch. It took me a while to get round to it, but I did it eventually, and I am not displeased. Okay, let's leave that behind for now, and talk about a happier subject, my writing. Yeah! My timetable at the moment is that I am still writing almost every day. Happily, while my re-edited draft of the Horus box is being read, I have only added a couple of minor amendments, not even corrections, and only to the last chapter, which means I haven't completely disrupted the process. Entropus, my anthology, is still being re-edited, I have found also a few more stories that I can add that I actually wrote out in longhand on some old A4 sheets. And I found those in a pile of outstanding paperwork that I carry around. Because if I don't carry around paperwork, nothing will ever get done. Interestingly, both are very short and comedic though still genre. One is science fiction, the other fantasy. And the reason I have added that to Antropus is I really want to use up all the fiction I have lying around, so when this is published I can do something totally new. And of those two stories, the one that I finished at least the first draft of is an old-fashioned pulp steam punkish bit of flash fiction about a hormonal cephalopod. Weirdly, as I sat there writing during my last writing session, a school group settled into the same cafe to also do some impromptu writing. Being a writer and a listener, like, as I always say, one of those El Orians from Star Trek, no, I am not Tolian Soren. I listened, and you know what? The fiction I heard being read out loud was good. Really good. And these people were just teenagers. I was going to say insert final sigh here, and I just have said that in fact, but now I've changed my mind. I'm glad that they're okay at writing and that they're showing enthusiasm in writing. Personally, I still think my stuff is better than theirs though, so there. No. <laughs> Next, Blackgate. Uh, 
as I have already mentioned, it is on hiatus until I finish Entropus, but my distance from the horror novel is giving me some new perspectives, and I think I can improve it by filtering out some of the extraneous events that have very little to do with the main plot, although are very, very interesting in their own way. If you listen to this podcast, Roy's Rocket Radio, you'll know that my problem has always been the opposite of writer's block. It's not all wasted, though, as there are nice long pieces of prose that could easily be spun off into either another short story or even another novel at a later date. And that is it for the show. If you want to find me, you can find my serious business site at RoyMartha.com. My blog is RoyMartha.wordpress.com. I'm on Twitter at RoyMartha. If you like the show, tell a friend about Roy's Rocket Radio. If you don't like the show, tell an enemy about Roy's Rocket Radio. Either way, you win. Please review the show in iTunes. This was Roy's Rocket Radio episode 190, recorded on Wednesday the 4th of October 2017, but ending on Thursday the 5th of October 2017 at 46 minutes past midnight and 58 seconds. Thanks for listening and bye for now. Bye! I'm using this little beep intermission to apologise to listeners. As you can tell from the published date, it has now been a week since I actually taped that podcast, and it's taken me until today to edit it and put it out there. I am terribly, terribly sorry. I said I wouldn't apologise at the beginning of the show, but little did I know that it would take me this long to edit it and upload it. There are reasons for these delays and complete chaos regarding Roy's Rocket Radio, And all these concerns are being addressed. If you are a loyal listener, thank you. Rest assured, I'm not going anywhere. The show is still happening. Just bear with me through these choppy seas. You see, I even managed to insert a really annoying nautical metaphor. I'm sure the captain will like that. And that really is it for now. Thanks for bearing with me. And there'll be a little beep and you'll hear the theme music and that's it until next time.